these coast to coast episodes and like i was scrolling through and there's one that was just called jc calls i was like what is this and so i don't know if you remember when we did our hollow earth episode and i talked about that one caller that was like screaming at our yeah. about like the new revelations and right stuff. sure apparently that guy's just like an entire character on his own in that show and he's like one of the only guests like only uh callers that art's ever been like you want to just have like a half hour where you just take calls from other people so he's just like an entity on that show mm-hmm. and so whoever put all those episodes of the show on spotify and whatever compiled all of his calls yeah. like every time he's been on the show and it was like six hours worth of stuff <laughs> oh my so gosh. i listened to like half of that today at work because it's hilarious yeah and <laughs> there's like so many different ones where he's just like spouting out of his ass and then all of a sudden art bell's just like whoa 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 slow down slow down you're gonna you're gonna have a heart attack right like breathe and and then the guy comes back and he's just like you just wish death upon me i can't believe you just you're gonna go burn in the boiling sewage of hell and stuff and my favorite was this one woman calls in and like he's so like homophobic and stuff obviously Mm -hmm. and this woman calls in and discloses that she's lesbian and he's just like, I know what happens at your lesbian Tupperware parties. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. I'm just sitting there. Tupperware? La- yeah. So I'm just sitting there laughing my ass off about that. Uh, lesbian. That's very bold of you to listen to that kind of podcast, considering you work with a blowtorch. Oh, dude, <laughs> like, it's, it's, how do you not just accidentally make the wrong cut? It's so funny. That's probably the longest we've gone before we actually introduce the show, but... Right, and then now, here you go. Here you, we are. You want an intro? You're going to get an intro. Welcome back to the Gems of History podcast, or welcome for the first time, as if this is your maiden voyage with us on the salty sea of podcast listening. We don't prep for these. Nope. <laughs> Did not plan this intro at all. No, sir. But, but he, saw, I, he saw that Captain Morgan bottle and he was like, that's what we're talking about. Yes. It's like I see a ship in the background, even though his knee is covering up most of it. How big is Captain Morgan? Sheesh. But anyway, I am your co-host, Evan Roosh, and join with me as always. We have just the cute as a button Jacob Shop. That's me. The Hello. man, the myth, the legend. Hello. Name Jacob. I am here, and I'm ready to podcast on ready the salty to... seas of podcasting. <laughs> salty seas. <laughs> but yeah, today we have another, uh, let's not call it filler episode, but an episode where we don't have a set deep dive topic, but you know, it's more just a couple of mini stuff. We just did some pretty intense subject matter over the past couple episodes, so I decided that I'm going to bring you something that's very important for you to know. And that is more conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you thought your brain was all like torn up from the last few episodes, get ready for this one. Oh yeah. It's it's got a lot of a lot of seamen, as in people that are in the navy. Oh, the salty sea, you say. Yes. And a lot of teleportation talk. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Honestly, whenever you get a little teleportation or just bending of physics, I feel that's just room for us to spout on for a solid hour about space. Oh, I understood maybe 
four percent of the technical talk <laughs> about this topic. All right. So, <laughs> so can I can I be a verified author on this? No, but I can talk about it on an open forum podcast. I can't wait. I list just some of the times. I just wish we could see the listeners' reactions to the different things that we just. Oh say. yeah. Like how many times it just grimaced like that made no sense. Oh, we've mostly for whatever I say, but the amount of things we've gotten wrong in the show is just out of control. Will we ever fix it? Maybe. <laughs> if we ever get a full uh, research and development department. Yeah. If we ever don't have full time jobs on top of trying to do research for this, then maybe. What if one day we just get like a billion dollar like offer from Spotify? We're like, all right, we'll get some new blankets for our <laughs> Swede, studio. The Swedes are our overlords at that point. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Hey, I've said it so many times on these airwaves that I'll sell out in a second. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. But as Evan said, we're going to do a little bit more of a relaxed episode today because we got some uh, more big topics that we got in the works and we kind of have to do some planning for those. So we're just kind of taking a little relaxed week and doing some, some light topics. Yes, we do some planning every once in a while on our topics and guess what bitches we're bringing back trivia for this one trivia except there's just two of us (laughs) watch just all of a sudden mark pops up from behind the blankets like hey what's up his ghost oh yeah that's right r.i.p rest in peace we'll (laughs) we'll never disclose where his body is nope no one will ever know Mm -mm. fbi yeah if you're listening cia all right evan do you want to go first with trivia hit me I meant, like, do you want to? Do I want to read it first? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I can go first if you want. Oh, okay. yeah, okay. I got it. I got all it. Right, so, all right, all right. It, just to welcome you back, we have a straightforward true or false. Okay. 50 50. In Japan, Westerners could become samurai. True. Are you sure? Yes. That is true. Because, yes. Just because of. Uh, the one, the black samurai whose name I'm like totally blanking on right now. Yasuki? Yeah, Yasuke. Because he was technically Westerner. Mm-hmm. But he's actually one of a few. So, fun fact a navigator from England named William Adams, which that's just your straight, straight up white guy name. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't get more England than that. Uh, oh, no, the samurai are coming and I hear they're being headed by Bill Adams. <laughs> All the samurai start dying laughing, like, who let Whitey in? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> We're just giving these katanas to everyone, apparently. Well, and obviously, because Tom Cruise is the last samurai, so that's an easy question, honestly. <laughs> oh, right. For God. That movie, I oh my gosh, I love that movie still to this day, but it's hilarious. Well, like, Tom Cruise is the last samurai. Preposterous premise. The guy from, uh, what, I kept trying to think of one of the rom-coms that he's in, but I can't. But anyway, yeah. Cut it. We'll cut it. <laughs> yeah. Whitey Wick McWhitesters is the last samurai. <laughs> but uh, William Adams became shogun, or excuse me, advisor to the shogun uh, of Japan and was starting to participate in a lot of trade deals with the West. And he became so close to the shogun that he was made a samurai. Props to you for taking the shot, even though. <laughs> yeah. I hate rum shots. <laughs> I no one does rum shots. It's just the only thing I had in the in the old liquor liquor li- cabinet. I don't want to do this episode anymore. <laughs> Happy Wednesday, <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. All right, are you ready for mine? I am. Okay. Probably not. So mine is multiple choice. 
How many people were said to have been sacrificed in a specifically brutal Aztec coronation ceremony? Like just one ceremony or just their entire history? Just one ceremony. Oh, man. It happened man. over like four days, though. Oh, so my. I'll give you that information. Aztecs were wild. A, a thousand. B, 5,000. C, 20,000. Or D, 65,000. Oh, my God. Please don't let it be D. I think it is C. C. C? Yeah. It is C. Oh, God. <laughs> that, is, that is like the most common estimate, at least. Because there's like a... Supposedly, there's a line of three brothers that were taken over, and the first two just kind of like rode on the family name and didn't really do a whole lot to keep the Aztec name like fierce. So a bunch of the surrounding tribes were just like we're not going to really respect you guys anymore because you haven't given us a reason to for two generations now. So the third brother, when he took over, was like, we're getting back at, back at the top here. So he just captured a bunch of people, and then for his coronation ceremony, apparently for four days straight, just had sacrifices going on where they would cut the heart out of whoever mm-hmm. the captor- captured person was. Then they'd roll them down the temple steps to a bunch of priests who were waiting at the bottom who would dismember them and then get rid of the rest. And they just did that constantly for like four days. Talk about like fuck around and find out. Holy cow. Aztecs were madmen. Yeah. That is absolutely insane. We don't talk about the Aztecs nearly enough about just how like insane of an empire they had and just how like. We give Christianity a lot of shit on this show. Yeah. Not like the actual religion, but like the, I guess, the people that practice it and abused it into doing some shitty things. Oh, yeah. The people that took advantage of religion. Just all Holy over. cow. Yeah. The Aztecs kind of won up that You got to keep the sun happy. <laughs> That's true. what you want to do. Was, it was all around. How do you was, keep the sun happy? It was all around keeping the sun. A bunch of hearts. <laughs> The sun is billions of miles away, and it's just like, what are they, what are they doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> the sun's just looking at its watch, just impatiently, it's like, like, it's been five seconds, where's my heart? It's like, I don't know if you watch Rick and Morty, but there's an episode where they try and find a different habitable world. Yeah. They go to one that seems super normal, and then the sun rises, and it's just constantly screaming. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I feel really? like that's what it would be doing if it saw the Aztecs doing what they're doing. <laughs> Man, religion just had a stranglehold on early cultures. Just legit sacrificing to the sun, the Egyptians. Uh, basically, the pharaohs just said, yeah, we're God. And oh, the yeah. Egyptian people were like, yes, you are God. You, you are Ra. You are the sun God. But yeah, we should definitely do some more Aztec topics because after reading that, I, it was on an Ask Historians thread on Reddit. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, we got to do some more research into these guys because that's kind of badass. That is something, like, for sure. Oh, man. But anyway, so I guess without any further ado, shall we dive into our little mini stories? Yeah, can... so mine's probably going to be, like, a medium story instead oh. of a mini story. So the, I... the classic, oh, let's do, like, a mini no-research episode. And Jacob's like, well, actually, I do have an episode. Well, because it was near, I narrowed it down to three things that I wanted to cover. One of them was code breakers, because I already had notes on that, because... Mm-hmm. Back in the day, we tried to do an episode on the Voynich Code, which the audio got all messed up. We just haven't really gone back to it because, honestly, it's not really that exciting of a story now that I think back on it. But the code-breaking part's cool. Or I was going to do Elizabeth Bathory. And then the third one was the Philadelphia Experiment, which is the one I'm going to do. But 
I was just all over the place and then ended up like scribbling a bunch of notes down in the last hour before we recorded. So <laughs> it's going to be a lot of babbling and trying to piece together the story the best I remember. Come for the history, stay for the babbling. <laughs> I, we'll get there eventually. I got I got most of it written down. Right. Either way, the story is just preposterous and very fun. So, And also, I wasn't a lot of help to you either because you texted me saying hey, which one of these would you like me to talk about? And I said, yes. Yeah, pretty much. You gave me three options, and I was like, yeah, go for it. Well, It's like when you ask your like significant other, like, where do you want to go eat? And they're like, I don't know where you want to go eat. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was kind of hoping that we would have a guest on because we asked some friends if they wanted to be on, which all of them ignored us, so I guess we just don't have friends anymore. Ignored or said thanks, but I'm just somehow busy on a Wednesday night. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. Like, what are you doing But right I was kind of hoping one of them would come on, and then I could just be like, okay, I have three things that you could pick from for me to t- talk about today, <laughs> and then they would just choose for me, but I ended up deciding on my own, because Coast to Coast kind of convinced me. Coast to Coast, yeah. That'll get you. But, anywho, would you want me to start, or would yeah. you like to start? For y'all today, I have the legend of the Cora tree. As the story goes of the Cora tree, um, and if you remember just the atmosphere in northeastern America in the 1700s, uh, specifically with women who were just a little bit different. Burn the witch. Burn them. Uh, there was a smaller woman and her baby, uh, who she was always, like, of course, right next to her baby. Uh, They arrived in a town called Frisco, and this single woman, single mother, was actually able to build a crude hut uh, for herself and the child a little ways away from the village. I definitely thought Frisco was the name of the cat food brand, but I'm pretty sure that's Friskies. Friskies. (laughs) That's that's all I was thinking about. (laughs) She probably also had a cat, you know, because again, witch. That is true. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cora, which of course is, is her name. Uh, was very quiet and did not socialize with the village. And people wondered why she needed so much privacy. Because she was learning to airbend. Because she was too busy just stealing trees from people. (laughs) She was trying to become the Avatar. Yeah, she was like Earth, Wind, Water, Fire. God, that's such a good show. Then she got her own Nickelodeon show. You're right. The Legend of Korra. Good for her. That took me a full two minutes to uh, actually put together. So (laughs) I was waiting for you because I never saw that like pop in your eyes where you're like, oh, nice. Yeah, usually I get sight talking about cartoons. Anyways. But of course, the rumor mill began to circulate quite quickly about why Korra was kind of this outcast, why she didn't want to be part of the village. And a lot of it actually had to do with how she was a single mother. No, they thought. Wait, there's a woman with a child but no husband? How did this Where's come to be? Where's your husband? And she was like, well, he died. And they were like, did you kill him? <laughs> did you? <laughs> yes. Uh, but, of course, this was around the time of the Salem Witch Trials, which was a former episode on the Gems of History podcast. Go back and listen. In 1692, a bunch of witches burned and... I don't know. And flew, flew on their off bro- to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> on their broomsticks. <laughs> that didn't work as well as I was hoping. We are on fire today. <laughs> we got it. We're locked in. Right. But uh, these rumors eventually did turn to sorcery and witchcraft, which once in these times, rumors were basically just law. And uh, some of these rumors, which are absolutely hilarious, was one, she had touched a cow 
on a farmer's field, and days later, it dried up and stopped producing milk. Then, another rumor was that there was a boy that teased her baby, and he, this boy, stuck out his tongue and did, like, kind of a weird face at the baby, and he suddenly became very ill a few days later and almost died. Man, I'm sure that has nothing to do with the subpar sanitary measures for food or anything like that. It has nothing to do with the fact that when you were sick, they put leeches on you. (laughs) (laughs) Literally just cut your arm open and said, let the blood out. Right. If you sprained your ankle, it was like, well, your only option is to get rid of it, kid. Uh, And then this is kind of the kind of the final straw is that Cora always had an abundance of fish whenever she went out and fished. Like, she was able to catch a ton. And the fisher men were never catching fish. The guys with the uh, the hats on, the camo hats on with the fish hook on it. Like, yeah, absolutely. We're fishers. Why are you catching all our fish? <laughs> Where'd you get that fish? Uh, the ocean. But I was in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> They're just sitting there, like, waiting for a fish. Yeah. And, of course, all these three just key facts uh, all led to the town basically putting a nail in the coffin saying that this woman is a witch. But the actual actions of, you know, witch trials for Korra didn't start until a tattered and busted ship named the Susan G. arrived into town. And on the Susan G., was one Captain Eli Blood and his crew of ruffians. And Captain Eli Blood was a longtime native of Salem, Massachusetts. 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 Salem, Mass. (laughs) Somewhere up in the Northeast. Right, where they do not love women. Captain Blood is just the best name to have ever. Especially if you're going to be... If you're just making yourself the uh, person that's going to be persecuting, like women, and, yeah, and kind of like you know, sailing around like a pirate, that's awesome. Oh, that's so strong. Yeah, that's such a strong name. That might be the strongest name, like the most on-brand and strong name on this oh, podcast. Easily. <laughs> he pronounced himself. So on arrival, he pronounced himself as a basically a student of the New England traditions and was a self-proclaimed witch hunter and decreed himself immediately the defender of the town. The most safe position ever held by any person in human history. Right. Whenever someone comes to town and says, no, I will be the protector here. It's like, sir, you've been here for five minutes. No, I will be the protector here. I'm the one with the gun. The best part about being a witch hunter is that if anyone accuses you of doing anything, you can just accuse them right back and you're the witch hunter. Can you talk about Job security. Literally. There's no internal affairs for <laughs> witch hunting. Yeah, it goes like witch hunter and then being an early Tsar of Russia. Those are like the most oh safe jobs the in safe. the world. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, supposedly, you know, this man had a twisted look of terror on his face of like at all times. And he just was extremely ruthless. In one particular instance, he carved the numbers 666 on the forehead of a man that washed up on shore. And this man was suffering from most likely probably hypothermia. Like he was constantly shaking. He was also probably scared because he was clearly like in some sort of shipwreck. And Eli Blood 
thought, oh, hmm, this looks like the work of the devil. That sounds even more like a pirate thing to do because pirates, like when they got caught, the person that catches them would literally carve a P into their head so mm-hmm. that they could be like labeled as a pirate. That's pirate shit. That's pirate shit for he's, sure. He's a Captain Blood in my eyes. I don't care uh-huh. what anyone else says. But the most interesting thing is that there was actually footprints, small footprints, of a woman, Captain Eli Blood assumed, around uh, the sailor when he first landed. And they led off into the woods towards the general direction of Cora's hut. So we got touched a cow, mm-hmm. made a kid sick. Yep. I don't remember what the third one was. Something about caught a lot of fish. Oh yeah, she caught a lot of fish. <laughs> she was an expert fisher. <laughs> That's why I forgot because it was so dumb. Yeah. And then footprints by her house. All right. Correct. That's all you need. That's more than enough, honestly. That sounds like four strikes. So she's like out and a half. Or and... she's just gonna have a really good bowling game. <laughs> right. Uh, but this was uh, the ultimate, ultimate kind of nail in the coffin for Captain Blood to start a witch trial for Cora. And the self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed witch hunter knew exactly how to test her because he was from Salem. He quickly gathered up an angry mob and marched directly towards Cora's hut. They smashed through the crude hut door, grabbed Cora and her baby, and took them both to the middle of the town near an old oak tree to perform the first test. He took out his knife and tried to cut her hair. Just as he had suspected, his knife couldn't cut her hair because her hair was stronger than wire rope. Or you or, just have a really bad knife. Or, yes, you <laughs> just have a crap knife, or you're just the only person that's right next to her. And it's like, oh, I'm definitely... Guys, I'm really cutting here. <laughs> For real. Oh, this is like a branch oak, like an oak from a, br- a branch from an oak tree. Like, can't cut this bad boy. Okay, but to be fair... There was a huge spider outside my house once that, like, had it was literally sure. literally a single strand of a web from like the front porch to the corner of yeah. my house by the gutters. I went out there with like a newspaper and I swatted it to break it. Just did not. It just bounced off. Went out there with the newspaper. Gi- this new newspaper still standing in the web. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> such a I went out there with a giant kitchen knife and tried to hit it, and it bounced <laughs> off. It wouldn't even cut it. I was like, what the hell is this made <laughs> It's of? absolutely insane. So, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of spiders. <laughs> like, I'm just picturing you with a, with a chainsaw getting ready, <laughs> like this dang spider's getting out of here. Getting a blowtorch out, pulling the hood down. <laughs> Your boss is wondering, uh, where are you going with that equipment, boss? Got a spider. <laughs> it was a big one. The next test was that he bound her hands and feet and threw her into the water. She did not sink, but floated on top of the water. Which means she's a witch. Which means she's a witch. And, of course, as you know, uh, humans just naturally float to the top of the water because we're buoyant. And they, wear so, they wore so many clothes back then. Oh, yeah. So all of the th- layers of dresses just caught air, and then they floated to the surface. I believe we talked about that in our witch episodes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the final test that Eli Blood did was that he took a ceremonial witch hunting bowl, which I can't imagine that looks any different than a standard wooden bowl. Actually, this is where we first started using coconuts as bowls and cups. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I got this from, from the south. Uh, he filled it with water and pricked his finger, letting a drop of blood fall into the bowl. That's more satanic than anything that she's done. 
it's literally like it's blood magic blood magic yeah and then and his last name's blood dude this guy is really just, on brand it is just adding all up and then he instructed three other men to do the same thing he then stirred the water and blood vigorously mixing it into a froth that's the grossest thing i've ever heard in my life he gazed into the bowl satisfied with the outcome and instructed the other men to again do the same and guess what they saw in the reflection of their blood bowl their faces they saw the faces of Cora and the devil satan they just knew what satan looked like they just knew satan's face that's weird <laughs> Maybe it's because they were seeing their their reflection. Oh, and Joseph Smith was in the background. Dum 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 dum. He was keeping notes so <laughs> that he like, could create Mormonism. <laughs> write that down. Write that down. <laughs> uh, after this, Cora's fate was completely sealed, and all the men in town agreed with the with the captain. Yeah, go men. Men always making the right choices. Men, we know how to be dicks. <laughs> With the entire village uh, stirred up an angry mob, they then tied Cora and her baby to the old oak tree, which was in the middle of town. The captain and his men then gathered kindling and branches at the base of the tree and Cora's feet, and she was to be buried alive. Or buried alive, burned alive. I was going to say, that's an interesting thing to do (laughs) first. And then they buried the entire tree. (laughs) They're They're like, okay... We're going to bury her alive, but first we're going to start the tree on fire. (laughs) Yes, for no reason. Uh, Captain Blood was lighting a torch and walking towards Cora and her baby when the other captain, uh, a local named Captain Thomas Smith, began to just kind of say, hey guys, maybe this is a little too far. He had a bit of a conscience. Yeah, he had a bit of a conscience. And basically, he went up and grabbed Captain Blood's arm just as, his, just as the fire was about to touch the wood, the kindling. So, there is no fire happening at the moment. However, after this happens, the sunny sky fills with storm clouds, thunder began rumbling, and then Captain Blood exploded into a million crabs. <laughs> <laughs> like in Pirates of the like Caribbean. In Pirates of Caribbean yeah. <laughs> uh, Captain Blood then had enough, shook his arm free of Captain Smith's grip, and proceeded with the plan of, quote, saving the villagers of this evil vixen. Court of law be darned. Justice will be served. And the baby, too. <laughs> but he actually never got to light the tree. The sky opened and with a clap of loud thunder and a bolt of lightning the tree was set on fire that's just unfortunate from the lightning (laughs) that's unfortunate okay if you're captain blood you're like look at that that's god bitches that's not like i've i was just playing like we may be actually on to something (laughs) uh the entire crowd was thrown to the ground and You know, obviously, trees on fire, there's thick, dark smoke in the air. And when the smoke cleared, the villagers composed themselves, and they noticed that Cora and the baby were gone. The ropes still hung on the branches of the splintered, burnt tree, and the kindling was untouched. The trunk of the tree was ripped open with a big, burnt, heart-shaped hole, emblazoned in the exact spot where Cora had been tied with her baby. 
only four letters could be seen. C-O-R-A. That's cool. I thought you were going to say (laughs) F-U-C-K. And only four letters. I-C-U-P. That's awesome. But yeah, so apparently that is the legend of the Korra tree, which is absolutely a bonkers. That's, if that's, is that all true? Yeah, well, I mean, it is a legend, but the infamous Korra tree is actually still standing in this town of Frisco. Okay, now I want to go see it. It's kind of nuts just looking at the picture right now. It's just in a (laughs) (laughs) cul-de-sac. Yeah, gentrification. I wonder wonder how that does for uh, resale value. That's, Only weirdos like us would be like, hell yeah. Well, that's like the one tree that was like its own individual property. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but someone signed for a tree to be its own legal property owner. So like the the village wanted to cut it down, but they couldn't because technically it owned itself. <laughs> so they were like, I don't know how to go about this. That's just, our laws are fucking wild in this yeah. country like for real excuse my language and the f-bomb but that is just nuts that it's, is yeah that is so funny but it's like the entire village is like well so, sorry rules are rules old old henry over there just really liked this tree and he literally gave it sovereignty so that tree could technically vote under the rules oh, yeah. of the first declar- of the Declaration of Independence. That that tree has a ballot. <laughs> Did that tree vote in the last election? Did Biden steal the election? Stop the count. Stop the count. <laughs> Stop the steal, whatever. Oh man. Hopefully no one like sound bites that because that's <laughs> right. Just, it's like great. Now we'll never get a guest on this podcast. All right, are you ready to hear some really dumb shit now? <laughs> dumb. Dumber than, no, this woman's catching a lot of fish. Oh, yeah. Way, (laughs) way dumber. (laughs) Let's let it roll. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be talking about the Philadelphia experiment. So I got most of my notes done, so I have most of the story actually in writing. But there's going to be a little bit at the end that I'm going to have to kind of go for memory. So if it gets a little rocky at the end, just bear with me. But this is kind of an addendum. Uh, I guess it's actually a precursor to the Montauk project that we covered. A prequel, you say? So, I don't know why I did this set out of order and did the Montauk project first, but... Again, just like just like Star Wars. <laughs> Literally. Are you George Lucas? Maybe. But anyways, as I was saying, this is a precursor to the Montauk project, which if you haven't listened to that episode, it's a wild ride. It's a lot of fun. Go listen to that. But the Philadelphia Experiment basically... <laughs> is an invisibility project that somehow stumbled upon not only complete invisibility, but also teleportation and time travel. So there's a lot that gets wrapped into this story. They really just threw in the big three into there. Oh, yeah. Of sci-fi movies. It's either all about invisibility, time travel, or, hey, I can teleport. And there's aliens. So, I mean, there's literally everything. <laughs> what else do you want from us? The conspiracy <laughs> smorgasbord. Right. The, hey, play the hits. So... The Philadelphia experiment contains two or three major players in totality, really. So we're going to kind of take a look at them one at a time, try to come up with a complete picture of the Philadelphia experiment, and then you guys can decide for yourselves if you believe it or not. I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm not, <laughs> we're not, gonna I'm not buying it. But yeah. <laughs> call, call me stubborn, but I may not buy it's, fully into this. It's a bit of a stretch. So one of the first main players in the Philadelphia Experiment is a man who is originally known as 
Carlos Miguel Allende, which is a cool name. So Carlos had sent some 50 letters to a UFO author whose name was Morris Jessup, and Allende insisted that the UFO phenomenon deserved further study and that it could connect to many other important scientific discoveries, which both of those things I do agree with. Mm -hmm. But one of these proposed discoveries that he suggested was the unified field theory, which I will try to explain, but I really have no clue if this is going to be accurate at all. Here we go. I I am not a theoretical physicist or a historian. Or a historian. (laughs) (laughs) I have a welding degree. (laughs) Right, yeah. None of us have anything like educational experience, (laughs) but we're like, nah. So from what I could gather from reading a couple different sources, the unified field theory is basically the idea that we could find a way to take the four major forces in nature which are earth wind fire and yes and water cora figured that one out yep so it's electromagnetism gravity and then weak and strong interactions of particles those are the four that are included here but it's basically taking all four of those and combining two or more of them into one so they could create an entirely new unified force that would create a new fundamental field that hasn't been discovered yet that's kind of the idea huh. behind it. Mm-hmm. And Albert Einstein worked on this for a long time. And as far as official science goes, couldn't figure it out. But according to one guy that we'll meet later, he figured it out in like 1938. So I don't know if you want to believe the singular guy who's saying that he figured it out, you can. But Not Albert Einstein, but Schmalbert Schmeinstein. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, Carlos Allende supposedly had worked with and was taught by Albert Einstein and could prove the unified field theory to be true because of what he witnessed at the Philadelphia Experiment in 1943. So basically from what he said, a ship known as the USS Eldridge was made entirely invisible in the Philadelphia Naval Yard. And not only that, but the ship also teleported from the Philadelphia Naval Yard and appeared in the Norfolk Naval Yard in Virginia before reappearing back in Philadelphia. But when it returned, the crew that was on board the ship weren't really having too much fun because some of them were fused to the hull of the ship, still alive, with others suffering terrible burns and just being completely out of their minds, pretty much. And this is where the writer for The Wizard of Oz got the Tin Man character from. (laughs) Literally just imagine seeing a ship disappear and then come back and all you hear is, "Ah! God left me unfinished. (laughs) This is terrible. Oh, man, those poor seamen. (laughs) Just, like, imagine you're just in between a wall. Like, yeah, this is my life now. There's one that survived, apparently, but we'll talk about that later. So, Morris Jessup, who is this UFO author, is basically looking at all this stuff that he's getting sent by Carlos Allende and saying... What is like? What is the hell? What the hell is all this? I don't know who you are. Why? Like, where did you get this information? And Allende won't really tell him anything else. So he starts getting mad and kind of gives up on it after reading into it a little bit. But then Morris Jessup is contacted by the Office of Naval Research, and they tell him, "Hey, we got a mysterious package, and when we opened it, we found a copy of your book, The Case for the UFO, but it's got a bunch of weird notes written in it." about extraterrestrial technology and the unified field theory 
So you need to come here and tell us what the hell is going on with this. What an intimidating thing to get just from that that office from the military saying, "Hey, what is this?" Yeah, wh- why we why do we have a copy of your book? Yeah, why why did this come to our door? Is this actually meant for you? So Morris Jessup gets his little booty moving, and he goes down to the naval, Navy offices. His little tushy. <laughs> just running around. He waddles on in there, and he's, he asks about the book that they got. Well, and first then, he asks for a stool, and then he, <laughs> he stepped up so he could be at eye level with her. <laughs> in real life, he's like 6'5". <laughs> so he sees the book that, that they got sent and scrolls through it, and he finds that there is a bunch of notes written in it, and actually, more than one person had written these notes. It was a total of three individuals, and one of them claimed to actually be an extraterrestrial. So hmm. now, Morris Jessup is like, what the hell is going on? He's trying to figure out who's writing these notes and kind of why they're dragging him back into this story. So in his effort to find the answer, his life ultimately begins to fall apart, which is the story of most UFO researchers. <laughs> Well, except for the one that had a threesome with the two alien baddies. Let's never forget that man. <laughs> the chief timekeeper at a scissor factory who lived with his stepfather. Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> he really had it figured out. Right. He's like, no, guys, guys, I do have a girlfriend. She is in a different universe. <laughs> so to make a long story short, his life fell apart because his wife left him. He got into a car accident and hurt one of his legs and ultimately decided to commit suicide in 1959, just three years after his first contact with Carlos Allende. But for some reason, two officers from the Office of Naval Research decided to make exactly 127 copies of this annotated book that they got sent, which is now known as the Vero edition of the case for the UFO. However, it was later found that these three people who had annotated the book were actually just one singular person. Wow. You want to take a guess at who that was? Was that our friend Carlos? It was our friend Carlos Allende. And that wasn't even his real name. His <laughs> it real, was Bob Simon. <laughs> his real name was Carl Allen. Well, that's just not nearly he as just, strong of a name. He just went to one Spanish class and took his name and made it Spanish. <laughs> if that's just... just However, Carlos Allende is a pretty cool name. So If I could... I, if I could change my name to, like, Evander, that'd probably be a lot cooler than, yeah. than Evan. So Carl had unwittingly destroyed a man's life and perpetrated a false narrative in tandem with that. Mm-hmm. But this was the first outright mention of the Philadelphia experiment. So that's kind of why he's important, and Morris Jessup just kind of got roped in. But it's important because in 1984, there was a movie with the yes. clever title of <laughs> The Philadelphia Experiment. I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the images right now, and they are truly the most perfect 80s movie images I've ever seen. Like, I'm seeing a swastika. I'm seeing an old-time, <clears throat> excuse me, an old-time police investigation room. I'm seeing just the most preposterous hairstyles i was gonna watch the trailer but i just ran out of time before i came here to watch it but they remade it in 2012 too there's two Did of they them really? yeah there's one from 84 and one from 2012 so we gotta watch one of them i want to watch the 80s one because it oh, seems like a lot of fun i'd much rather watch the <laughs> 80s one and they have images of the guy being like inside of the ship or like oh, part of the ship 
And it is just beautiful. An 80s version of that sounds incredibly fun. (laughs) It is preposterous as it sounds. But this is where we encounter the most recent in time, like most recent time-wise character in the story, a man by the name of Al Bielik. And he did a three-hour interview on Coast to Coast with Art Bell from 1993, which is where I got pretty much all of the information for this part of the story from. According to this three-hour interview with Art Bell, his real name isn't actually Al Bielik. It's actually Edward Cameron. According to who we now know as Al Bielik, he was supposedly born in 1916 as a man named Edward Cameron, but his birth certificate claims that he was actually born in 1927 as Al Bielik. Just a couple years difference, who will know? But regardless of that fact, which he kind of just completely brushes over at first, because the, the episode starts with Art Bell obviously asking, tell the people who you are, what's your deal, where'd you come from? Right. And he goes, well, I'm not actually Al Bielik, I'm actually Edward Cameron. And then he just starts going into the story of the Philadelphia experiment. <laughs> but he eventually circles back. So regardless of whether he's Edward Cameron or Al Bielik, The story goes that his life as Edward Cameron was started when his father, whose name I don't remember from the episode, we're going to call him Mr. Cameron. He was a Navy man who wasn't really around a lot, but was also able to have Edward and Edward's brother Duncan from two different women within seven seven months of each other. Oh. (laughs) So this guy's just making his rounds. Just child support up the wazoo. So, when these two boys were growing up, supposedly, Edward was just a baby genius. He was just so smart. He was sitting at a piano when he was nine months old, and he heard the adults talking, and he just knew every word. That's what he says. Well, at the age of nine, I certainly hope so. No, nine months. Oh, nine months? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said nine. Yeah, I thought you just said nine. Like, yeah, I hope he'd... No, he just knew everything at nine months. So, once they got older... Ed and Duncan were told by their father to enroll in school, get good educations. So since they were relatively well off, Ed went to Princeton and then eventually went to Harvard. And then Duncan went to a college in Glasgow and they both received PhDs in physics. Of course, any evidence of his father's military service or his PhD as Edward Cameron are nowhere to be found because they're under his other identity. (laughs) kind of hard like i understand like the secret identity part but maybe you have those things transferred so you have some credibility yeah this is like in the montauk project when preston nichols starts the book by saying it's full of soft facts (laughs) meaning it's there's nothing to verify any of this he basically said i pinky swear these are all true pretty much so according to a website called gravitywarpdrive.com that is the perfect URL. Since Ed was so smart, the, the website says he supposedly was the only one to pass one of his electronics tests in high school. He was tight. <laughs> he was kind of always in contact with the military on projects after he graduated college. But his first step was taking what he called a 90-day wonder school with his brother Duncan in the, in the Navy which was available for officers of special assignments. 
Did not look into that. Don't know if any of that is actually factually accurate. And it was conveniently held in Area 51. Wow. (laughs) So this is where they both got assigned to the Philadelphia experiment. According to who is now known as Al Bielik, big names such as Einstein and Nikolai Tesla were working on the project for a while before he came on with Duncan, who Duncan is his brother. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I specifically mentioned that earlier. but. They were already working on this before the two of them came on, and they had already made a small unmanned ship invisible in 1940. So when this happened, FDR, who was president at the time, made the project completely classified because before this, the Navy was supposedly just funding the project and didn't actually have any interest in it. But at this point, when they made something invisible, they made it classified. Because originally... It's so classified, it's not even there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You thought that, like, only... Like, the CIA always uses just the black lines, like, black out different documents. Well, what if we made the words invisible, too? <laughs> or what if it just never Or the exist- radio waves are just not write it down. It never existed. Yeah. Because the original, the original idea behind this project was to make ships radar invisible, because obviously World War II... Mm-hmm. But they just made it entirely invisible. <laughs> so <laughs> even better. Kind there of shot for the moon on that one. Isn't it wasn't one thing where a green light was visible? That that comes right. in like the second and Low third tests. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So now, since this is all classified and stuff, the Navy told Nikolai Tesla that they wanted to try tests with a skeleton crew of fifteen Navy men and then six officers on board when they made the ship invisible the next time. And they also said we're gonna make we're gonna get like a special retrofitted ship just for this test so that we can get all the generators and all the, that good stuff on there. But in the meantime, while the Navy was doing this, Ed and Duncan Cameron were sailing around the Pacific for a year, ended up at Pearl Harbor on December fifth, nineteen forty one. Oh. Which, if you know anything about World War Two, Pearl Harbor happened two days later. <laughs> So and also he mentions Nikola Tesla. Uh, Tesla died in January of 1943. Yeah, but that was in 1940 that he's been doing this stuff. So. Oh, gotcha. He's. But it's like, are we really having just the oldest man? Anyway, yeah. He wasn't that old when he died, though. He and there's he oh. talks about like how suspicious the circumstances around his death were, and I'll kind of get into that in the next section. But hmm. so they're they're at Pearl Harbor, 48 hours before. It's going to get bombed. And their superiors came up to them and told them that the military knew that Pearl Harbor was going to be bombed in the next 48 hours. But they couldn't have the Cameron boys there because they were too valuable. So they (laughs) sent them to California to a place that he refers to as the Institute. And then they really got involved with the Invisibility Project, which was later known as Project Rainbow. Right. That's actually like a whole nother conspiracy that we actually knew Pearl Harbor was going to happen. Yeah, because a caller asks uh, Al Bielik later on in the episode, mm. why didn't they tell the other people there that we were going to get bombed? Yeah. <laughs> like, could have saved some lives. Right. And, like, the Japanese can sink a ship or two, maybe get the sailors out of there. Yeah. And Al goes, oh, it's because FDR wanted to push us into the war, so he made sure that we got bombed so that we could have a reason to go into the war. Sure. <laughs> a little, little bit of a stretch, but 
I oh, mean, he gets, that's how we got, like, at, literally all of our entrances into different international wars have started that way. Like, the Spanish-American War, uh, there is some conspiracies that, so the Spanish-American War started because the Spanish apparently destroyed a civilian ship that was traveling, and, I mean, there's not, like, a ton of evidence for it. Uh, and then World War One, you know, another ship got sunk. Like multiple ships got sunk, uh, carrying different American civilians. So that, that that's just the, like the common. That theme. was the Lusitania and stuff, right? Yes, World correct. Yeah. World War One, yeah. So I mean, it's definitely a recurring theme. So when you put it that way, that's kind of a that's a fair conspiracy point. It is, and then he goes and talks about the New World Order for like five oh, well, minutes after. So, I, <laughs> and then, yeah, <laughs> and then there we go. <laughs> so Project Rainbow is now underway. The Cameron boys are on the job. So they, the Navy, as I mentioned, created a new ship, which they called the USS Eldridge, and retrofitted it for the big Tesla coils and generators that they were going to put in the hull of the ship. And then on the deck of the ship, they put a giant steel bulkhead, basically, hmm. where they had all the controls and stuff for everything. And their idea was to create... Okay, it's, this is going to be some more of that technical stuff that I didn't really understand, but... Art Bell's like, oh, you're so you're very technically inclined because you're given a lot of good points. But it's because he's worked in radio, so he understands all this hertz and volts and shit like that. <laughs> right. And I'm just sitting there like, I have no fucking clue. Yeah, like, yes, hertz and things. Yeah, so from what I could gather, the idea was to create a pulsed and rotating electromagnetic field around the ship and then merge that with a pulsed and rotating radio frequency that was rotating twice as fast as the electromagnetic field and it would basically render the ship invisible somehow through the unified field theory or something huh magnets so the way i think of it is think of it like a donut just your typical circle donut mm -hmm. and the ship is going to be in the, the hole in the center of the donut and then the actual donut is those two fields interacting around it, which is making it invisible. So the ship is still in the same spot. It's just that everything around it is getting distorted to make it look like there's nothing there. Gotcha. We definitely need to just explain all of our different scientifical points on the show in donut form. In donuts. Okay. Yes. I'll remember that. <laughs> so they used this equipment, the Tesla coils and generators and all that good stuff with... Ed and Duncan Cameron running the controls on board the ship for the second test. However, Tesla was not really having the best time in this portion of the test because he knew that if he fucked up, he was going to fuck up the people on board too. So he intentionally sabotaged the, this test by making sure that the frequencies of the various fields weren't accurate and the test failed. Nothing happened. So once that happened, the the higher-ups were not too happy with Tesla and kicked him off the project. And this is where the conspiracies come in that he had all of this information and stuff and then was later killed in 1943. Because this test happened like late 1942. Mm -hmm. So that that's the idea is that they took him out to pretty much sweep everything under the rug. But... After he was kicked off, then he was replaced by a man named John von Neumann, or Neumann, who we I believe, Newman. I believe we talked about in the Montauk Project. Mm -hmm. 
but he is a brilliant mathematician and he was actually one of the first people to create some advanced computing systems there's kind of contention on whether he actually created the first computer as we know it but yeah he was a very smart guy so apparently he took over for tesla and he had a very short deadline to meet now to get the project back up and running and get a successful test. So he was pressed for time, kind of got it retrofitted, did everything that he could to make it safe, which wasn't a lot, and ran the next test. So the Cameron boys are behind the equipment again, running the dials. On the flip, ones and twos. Flipping the switches. So this test was successful in making the ship invisible. And as Evan said earlier, there's kind of a green like mist or a fog they said. But upon returning from its hidden adventure, the crew was found to be really disoriented and out of sorts. This, they weren't like insane. They were just kind of, I don't know, confused, just out of it. I would be out of it too if I just traveled thousands of miles. No, no, they didn't travel anywhere for this one. The, the oh, ship, right, right, right. The ship right. just became invisible mm-hmm. and then became visible again. But all of the fields and stuff reacting around them kind of just disoriented the the sailors. Right, right. So the higher-ups looked at this, and they're like, all right, no problem. We got another crew. We can do it again. <laughs> Run it back. So they gave them an even shorter deadline to kind of set it up again, kind of figure out what went wrong, add a few things that they wanted to do to monitor extra stuff on board, and set up for the third test, which was supposed to happen. The second one happened in July 1943. This one was going to happen August 12th, 1943, which is a major focal point for the Montauk Project as well. So there's a lot of stuff here that's going to coincide because this is where the Montauk Project and the Philadelphia experiment really become intertwined. So the third test was obviously the biggest one because this is the one where they're going to figure out if we can do this feasibly and safely where we can make ships invisible and still have a crew that actually knows how to man a ship. So von Neumann came up with one idea to have a third generator on board instead of two to try and counteract the negative effects of the field, but never got it to work. So they just Hmm. ran with the two again and didn't really change anything. (laughs) They just had more equipment on board to monitor stuff. And they had a submarine underneath it when they ran the test because apparently the first test you could see that it took some of the water out of it so it was basically just like a dip in the water line or whatever oh really so it wasn't a specific science because mm-hmm. you think about the donut so think about it you cut it halfway across like horizontally so that you have a top and bottom half kind of like a bagel mm-hmm. but a bagel is probably a better analogy for this so the top half of the bagel is above the water, and then the bottom half is underneath. So basically, there's that underneath section that's interacting with the water, taking the water in the invisibility cloak or whatever you want to call it. So they run this third test. Uh, the Cameron boys are in the steel bulkhead with the controls. Everyone else is kind of just meandering about on board. And the ship goes invisible again. There's a green fog, but then there's this flash of bright blue light. And the ship disappears completely. It's just gone. There's no fog. There's nothing. It's gone for about four hours. And then it reappears in the Philadelphia Naval Yard. However, there is also communication that the ship appeared in the Norfolk, Virginia Naval Yard. So this is where that teleportation jaunt comes into it. Mm -hmm. When the ship comes back, as I mentioned earlier, the officers that were spectating on a ship nearby 
look through the binoculars and just see screaming men just fused to the bulkhead like there's few of them that were literally half and half in and out of the steel. There's one guy that just had his hand stuck in there and they cut his they cut the hand off and he was able to survive, but he was the only one of I believe Al Belix had five people that survived Jeez. being fused to the bulkhead. And then I thought this was super funny because he's like everyone that was underneath like below deck on the ship was kind of fine. There's just this one guy that would intermittently become invisible. N- at, not out of his own volition <laughs> i was like that's that's kind of a big deal yeah that's <laughs> you're just sitting at the dinner table all of a sudden you're gone <laughs> yeah. you're just like all you see is there's a floating fork like honey you're invisible again like freaking again <laughs> how, how do i stop this right <laughs> but yeah and then it's the, absolutely insane yeah it's not fun times and like four hours they're like in this different uh, yard. Uh, kill me kill me <laughs> no it literally just be like 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 half his face is in the in the the steel right it's like you can't just like shoot them in the head because steel yeah so according to al belik while this is all happening on board the ship they don't notice anything wrong because according to him when you're in the invisibility field you kind of just see a haze around the ship you don't actually see any of the surroundings so he said that him and uh, Duncan came out of their little control room, came out on board. Everyone is okay. They're just kind of like a little confused, like what's going on. But the equipment was starting to like go haywire. There's it was sparking everywhere, and they knew something was wrong. But they couldn't get communication through. So Duncan and Ed, instead of just hanging out on board, dove off the ship. And they're like, we'll <laughs> swim to shore, we'll go through the invisibility field, mm-hmm. tell everyone what's going on, and it'll be fine. But apparently, from what Al says, they just never hit water and just kind of kept falling. And then eventually, they ended up at the Montauk base in Long Island, New York. So this is where it all ties together. Right, and if I remember correctly from the Montauk episode, wasn't like Montauk just the place where things just kept on like appearing. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, but most, the biggest thing was kind of the time travel and teleportation stuff they were working on. Right. So they appear at Montauk and they meet this guy. They're taken like underground into the base. And then they meet this dude comes up to them and acts all familiar with them. And then introduces himself and says, I'm Jonathan von Neumann. I'm the guy that you guys know. And, Duncan and Ed are like, no, we just saw him like 20 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. You're way older than he is. You're not him. Right. He's still on the ship. What do you mean? Or he's still like in. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, because he was John von Neumann for the test was observing from a ship nearby. Right. So they're like, you're not him. And he says, no, I am him. It's 40 years in the future. You're in 1983, not 1943. So. They go through some tests, like, they show Ed and Duncan color TV, like, traffic jam footage on freeways and stuff that apparently (laughs) convinces them that it is 1983. Takes them to Hooters, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what, takes them to, like, a Yankees game, I don't know. Right. But uh, apparently convinces them, yeah, it is 1983. And then John von Neumann's like, okay, well, we can't keep you here. You guys got to go stop everything from going on at the Philadelphia experiment, you got to shut down the generators on the ship. 
so we're going to send you back. And and Duncan look at him like he's crazy and say, how how the hell are you going to do that? And he's like, ah, I don't know. D- don't even worry about it. We got a time machine. We're going to send you back. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't even fret. We have a time machine. <laughs> it's <laughs> that no, is big, a, no big deal. What a line to drop on these two probably extremely scared men <laughs> after they just saw color TV. So they're just completely out of sorts. And he's like, okay, we got a time machine. We'll send you back. Actually, turns out they do have a time machine. They do send him back. And then Ed and Duncan just start hacking at wires and stuff to shut down the ship because nothing else is working. So eventually they power down the ship. It sends it back to the Philadelphia Naval Yard. And they show up. Everyone's screaming, "Ah, oh my gosh, I'm dying. (laughs) And then everyone who's a higher up at this point is like, all right, I think we're going to shut this one down. <laughs> yeah, maybe we uh, throw this one in the wastebasket. But eventually, they do another test with no one on board and just kind of remotely control everything from a different ship and are able to figure out how to do it again or whatever. And they kind of communicate back and forth with the Cameron boys and they tell them the story about how they have time travel and then they send them back and forth at in time somehow because i guess john von neumann creates another time machine in 1943 so they send him back and forth and say give us like some sort of proof from the future that i'm actually there and so he they apparently bring back enough information to prove to von neumann that his future self is still there working on another project and then i don't know <laughs> I don't know what that does for anyone, right? But it just kind of proves it to him. And the then, future John is just like you. What you're bad until eighth grade, and then history will tell you that John von Neumann died in 1959. But mm. how would he be around in 1983 if that was the case, Evan? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you saying me? history is a liar? Sometimes I'm telling you the New World Order organized everything to sweep it under the rug so that they could use him for the Montauk project. The NWO strikes again. But yeah, that's that's like basically it. And then Duncan Cameron, he... Oh, I forgot about this, actually. Duncan Cameron never actually comes back on the ship. So when he comes back to 1943 from 1983, he jumps off board the ship after seeing the guys fuse to the bulkhead and stuff mm-hmm. and goes back to 1983. So that's really? how he becomes the main player in the Montauk project. Yes. Because they take hit <sighs> Yeah. So he di- he dies in nineteen eighty three, technically, and they just take his soul somehow and <laughs> put it in another body. And then they're like, Well, you use that one. <laughs> just use this just use the shell of a person. So there I, may be a soul in there already, but so let's I, kick him out. I guess they could just do that. But that's how he becomes like the main player, uh, apparently, in the Montauk project. And then Edward Cameron goes back and then somehow becomes Al Bielik along the way just to kind of, I'm assuming, just to sweep his credentials away to prove that he was never a part of this. So that it was, they'd never have an official document that mm. says, oh, he was a part of this project that never technically existed. So, yeah. I think that's pretty much all of it for the Philadelphia experiment. And then he just watches the Philadelphia experiment movie in 1984 and then, or no, and he watches it in 1988, four years after it comes out. And he's like, 
well, gosh darn it, wouldn't you know it? I was a part of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like sitting middle of the theater, just wolfing down popcorn. Yep. Like, oh, wow. It's really interesting seeing my life's work. And then apparently John von Neumann got in contact with him pretty soon after that because he somehow knew that he had broken through his mental block and mm-hmm. they had made a deal back in 1943 to say, once you remember your past about this project, I'll contact you. And somehow he knew. <laughs> and then they just got dinner. <laughs> so Just old pals just getting back together. Just bros hanging out. So that's the story of the Philadelphia experiment. I was going to do like an entire dedicated episode of this, but the more I real like read about it, I was just like this is this is dumb. I mean, that's truly the greatest sci-fi movie that you've ever like that yeah. I've ever heard. Like that's tremendous. It's a really good story. It's just not true. <laughs> right. Like what did they even just for perspective of the sailors that got welded on board or whatever? What did they send back to the families? Like or were they just <laughs> yeah, like Right. Uh, he was lost at sea. Um, I mean, it he was, was stationed in Arkansas. How was he lost yeah, at right. sea? Yeah, right. It was know, World War II. Like I, I'm assuming they could just be like, ah, we sent him to the front lines and he's not coming back. Yeah. Basically, what people think the Philadelphia experiment originated from is there was actually a classified project to make ships radar invisible. That mm-hmm. was actually true. But the idea behind it was, uh, it was a procedure called degaussing, which is basically mm-hmm. you make the ship uh radar invisible by you wrap a bunch of high powered like lines around the ship and basically makes it magnetically charged and that way it repulses other like sorts of frequencies mm-hmm. and then it just makes the ship invisible to radar and then the like those magnetic mines and stuff that the Germans were using yeah are, those kind of are ineffective then so that was kind of the idea behind it and people just think that someone saw a document like that and then took his story and ran with it and made it way more sensational. And then Al Bielik was like, I want my life to be exciting. <laughs> and yeah. just kind of picked up on it. So, Absolutely fascinating story. It's crazy. Like, I love sci-fi stuff, and that's definitely sci-fi. I mean, could go on a limb here, like we said before, and say that this didn't officially happen. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna stake a claim and say yeah. that this is all bullshit. That they didn't make several ships invisible and/or teleport without yeah. just that being common knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And then Hal Bielik goes on to say, "Oh yeah, we've they've perfected all this technology by now, and you can actually get a backpack size generator that makes you invisible as a person now." Which, why are we not all using that? That sounds awesome. <laughs> And you said that was on the Coast to Coast episode, yeah. and the Coast to Coast episodes ran when? From 1993. Yep. So for the last however many years, three decades, yep. we've just had invisibility technology and backpacks. Oh, yeah. They've been running it back for 30 years. Yep. That explains how we got Bin Laden. We just <laughs> used, we didn't use SEAL Team 6. We just used an invisible man. So, yeah, uh, that, was a, that was a story. The Philadelphia Project and the Montauk Project are just extremely interesting pieces of or just i guess examples of people who thought that their lives were a little dull yeah and thought wait a minute let me write a little bookie book it's just the definition of conspiracy now because that's what most conspiracy theorists rely on to like yeah. become conspiracy theorists is because becomes it makes you a part of something bigger than yourself Mm -hmm. like with QAnon and stuff where it's all about like oh the new world order and then child trafficking and stuff like that it's like oh i'm now i'm a part of something bigger than me 
and it just makes life more exciting. But it also is very harmful because it just isolates you from everyone who's actually got rational thought. Right. I mean, that's honestly just one of the humanness, like what we need as humans just to feel part of something bigger, whether that's religion or QAnon or write a book about the Montauk Project. Or sports, like literally anything, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've become best friends with people at random Packer games just because we're both there at the oh, same yeah, time. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, sitting next to each other and being like, fuck you, Jay Cutler. Yeah, humans just crave that communal aspect of life. So mm-hmm. any way they can get it, whether it's through going to a concert or going to a sports event or becoming a conspiracy theorist, like, anything. We are a wild species, yeah, that's we haven't, for sure. We haven't changed much over the years. We still crave that tribal aspect. Oh, Always need something to belong to. Yep. Yeah, we have not changed at all. Nope. It's always funny. It's like, wow, I can't believe, like, I gave, uh, like, medical practices in 1700s some shit earlier in this episode, thinking, like, oh, look at us. We're so oh. much smarter. <laughs> but at the time, they were probably like, yeah, this is the best that we can do. Oh, yeah. We don't have x-rays. Imagine trying to explain x-rays to Seven, you like can say, 1700s Salem. You can literally see their bones. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, just join us by this tree here, and we are going to set you on fire. Do you like swimming? Do you want to <laughs> you go, for a little, <laughs> go for a little dip? We're just going to make it, we'll call it expert swimming, where we tie your hands and feet together. <laughs> yeah, and if you float, <laughs> sorry, pal. <laughs> Too bad. You're going to get burned alive. Yeah. They really went from the completely different ends of the spectrum. Like, let's make them very wet. And then roast them alive. Yeah. A little steamy. It is just funny, though, to see, like, throughout history, those people that are born kind of as modern people stuck mm. in, like, an old time period. Oh, yeah. Like, even Attila the Hun, he was so much smarter for the time than right. most of the people around him. Mm-hmm. So he could have survived in a modern setting if he was born, I feel like, because yeah. he just had that mentality. Whereas there's so many people that obviously were not <laughs> born oh my gosh, with yeah. that modern mind. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see those characters that stand out because they just had a little bit of a leg up over other people, just the way they viewed the world. Right. I mean, you mentioned Einstein earlier in the episode, and he wasn't proven right on a majority of his theories until after he died even. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just one of those things being caught in the wrong time. Yeah. Interesting. And stuff. they're geniuses. Oh. It's like craziness like hp lovecraft one of the biggest horror writers of our time mm. now wasn't even that big of a name when he died and wasn't really discovered until years after he died so yeah and we're like this guy slaps oh my god it's crazy can't C- wait for the sequels Cthulhu. oh <laughs> but anyways i hope you guys enjoyed this relaxed episode that was a lot of fun it was so relaxed very fun <laughs> it was definitely relaxed <laughs> i definitely enjoyed looking up uh why are there... Okay, this is the most 80s movie of all time. There's even just a couple getting, like, marriage counseling. Like, yeah. this is one of, the, one of the images. That's one of the things Al Bielix There's talks. a second one from the 80s, so it's night, like the Philadelphia Experiment 2. Oh, really? Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> wow. Because Al Bielik talks about how the movie was wrong because there was, like, a whole love story that it follows. <laughs> like, what? You just, you're he just was saying like, you had no one <laughs> to love you? He was like, ew, women. <laughs> <laughs> Not in my modern science. <laughs> Please don't clip that. <laughs> but we will be back next week, I believe. We'll be starting a bigger topic that Evan is planning out. So mm-hmm. hopefully we can get that all organized for you guys and get a start on that. I don't know if it'll be two, maybe three parts, depending on how 
in depth we want to go with it because it's kind of a, a huge, huge topic. Yeah, realizing when I texted you about it, I was like, "Wow, I just want to cover like seven hundred years of history." Yep. So, so we'll see how we decide to break that down. But yeah, we'll figure it out and we'll get it to you. So, this was just a a little bit of an intermediate episode, and an hour and twenty. Yep. <laughs> But anyway, if you want to get in contact with your favorite history podcast, you can find us at gems. Oh, my God. You can find us at gems underscore history. Wow. This is like our you can do it. 70th episode. You can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. Find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco and then myself at whatevskis. You can also find us on Instagram at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast and then last but not least you can find us on tiktok at gems of history pod and we i don't know i probably will have started the facebook group by the time this releases oh yeah but we're planning our facebook group i believe we're calling it the agora the gems of history podcast discussion because uh the agora was where like old timey people back in the ancient times met to discuss philosophy and theories and all that good stuff so yeah that's where the great philosophers of athens so your plato your diocletus your socrates all gathered together to basically talk shop and that's where the scientific method was born that's where democracy was born so we figured uh let's steal that really cool name and use it for us talking about our nonsense yep that's what we're gonna talk about conspiracies (laughs) and aliens and Serial killers and, and people eating people, all that good stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll probably have started that by the time this episode comes out. So, if you want an invite, you can either reach out to one of us on Twitter or if you can search it on Facebook yourself, and hopefully, you can find it. It'll mm-hmm. be a pretty small group starting out, obviously. So, hopefully, you can find it. Otherwise, just let one of us know and we'll, we'll send you an invite. Yeah, so. you can send us a love letter if you want. I don't know what address you'll send it to, put but... some money in there because. Because we poor. want it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, that, hopefully we'll have that up and running and then we can get some discussions going. You guys can suggest some topics in there. And then mm-hmm. if we need to do more of these intermediate episodes, maybe we can take one of the topics you guys suggest and do a little a little one hour episode on something like that and give you guys what you want. Yeah, we'd absolutely love to take suggestions and give you some content that y'all are actually 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 asking for wow what do you mean they didn't ask for the philadelphia experiment and a girl getting (laughs) burned on a tree by lightning no one asked for the episode about dogs wow (laughs) god that was a dumb episode that'll forever be the gems of history folklore (laughs) that will forever be the gems of history like why like why was that (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody we will talk to you next week everyone have a great week uh hope you had a at least if you're in America, we had Memorial Day on the day this comes out. So hopefully you had a good long weekend and got to spend some time with family and friends, mm-hmm. stayed safe and responsible. But yeah, uh, we will talk to you guys later.